what I find the most exciting about it is there's always something to learn. So I guess I'd never get bored in cooking because I'm always, you're, there's always something to read or a new technique or a new type of sauce to do or, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity. So I, I love that part of it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Southern Tasmania is a region now widely celebrated for its incredible produce and a lifestyle built around appreciating the bounty of nature. What's it like growing up in an environment like this with access to the most stunning produce? And what impact does it have on forging a career in food? Lily Treewarther is the chef and owner of LT Events in Tasmania. Lily, how are you? Good, thanks, Huck. How are you? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You um, branched out just recently with uh, LT Events, your own business. What's it been like getting that started? Oh, it's been it's been very different to the world of restaurants. Um, I guess with COVID and everything over the last few years, I kind of stopped and I looked at how I wanted to cook and I decided that I wanted to take a little bit of a break from restaurants, but I definitely didn't want to take a break from cooking. So I decided that doing my own events and creating um, experiences and dinners for different people would, would be a nice way to still keep that connection. What surprised you about that shift and move into that sort of event space? Um, well, I think it's just, it's very funny having a lot of free time. <laughs> um, I think I've spent my entire career in restaurants and it's fast paced. You're always moving, you're always working. And I am not used to stopping. <laughs> um, so I found it quite quite funny having free time. Um, like I'm doing events probably once, once or twice a week at the moment, which is, which is great. But, you know, that also leaves me with five days where I'm not working. <laughs> um, so I'm exercising, I'm creating ceramics, I'm doing lots of hobbies and seeing friends and it's a whole, it's a whole new world and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. You grew up in southern Tasmania, and Tasmania is renowned for its incredible produce. Um, tell us, take us back to when you were young. Tell us about what it was like uh, growing up there and sort of the role that food played in your family. I feel very fortunate to have had the upbringing that I had. Um, I think it was idyllic in a lot of ways. Um, I grew up about an hour south of Hobart, so in a very small place that not many people have heard of called Gordon. Um, as a kid, you know, my parents had quite a few acres and my mum is an incredible gardener. So we had vegetables, fruit, like every type of apple, stone fruit, berries, all growing there. Um, we also raised some animals and, you know, my, my childhood was fishing for, my, fishing for flathead in the channel with my dad or we'd go um, over to Bruny Island and pick mussels and oysters and cook them on the fire at the beach so like food was always a very big part of my upbringing and very grateful for my family in the way that um that I was raised if you think back to that sort of time when you were, um, were growing up and 
um, that connection you had with produce. How far has Tasmania come in regards to um, produce and, and uh, restaurants and food since um, sort of you've been part of that? I think it's come a very, a very long way. Um, looking back, um, obviously my upbringing was great, but I think that's not what a lot of people in Tasmania had. Um, and I think Mona and Garage East, when they first opened, it sort of brought a different feeling to Tassie. There was a lot of hype around the produce and I think it was being seen for the first time by people who weren't in Tasmania. Um, and I think it really launched the platform of that um, becoming what we're known for now. Um, Garagist for the food that it created was incredible and then Franklin not long after, um, Fico, Diamaker, there's some incredible restaurants down here now that 10 years ago they wouldn't have ever been. When did you first start getting interested in food and thinking of it as a possible career? Well, I guess given the way that I, I was raised, I, you know, we always ate well at home. It wasn't fancy by any means, but my mum's a really good cook and we always ate produce from the garden. And it was always so delicious and I loved being a part of that. So I think it sort of definitely from early age, I appreciated where food came from and what it to raise and grow your own food. So it was always a part of my life and what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but I, to be honest, when I was about 15, I started working as a kitchen hand. Um, and I kind of hated what I saw in kitchens. Like I didn't appreciate or I didn't like what I saw in there was um, the place I was working was quite misogynistic and I guess it was before that era, era sorry before the era where we're kind of coming into nicer kitchens for lack of a better word um, and I didn't really want that to be my lifestyle um, so it deterred me a little bit to be honest and I decided to go to uni um, so I enrolled into uni to study marine biology and journalism my, my dream was to write about the ocean um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a gap year. I don't want to go straight to uni. Um, so I went to Lord Howe Island where I'd been on a holiday before as a kid and I loved it over there and I did my dive master training and spent a season over there teaching diving. Um, and when I was there, I met this chef, um, Kim, who now runs Cherry Moon in Sydney. Um, and it was the first time that I'd met a chef who was passionate, engaging. Um, yeah, it was, it changed the way that I viewed cooking. Um, so I decided to move back home and start an apprenticeship. And I guess it kind of clicked me back into what I'd always known, but I think I just needed to be put back on that path. Take us back to the, that sort of first step into the industry. What, what was it like in the commercial kitchen for you? And do you have any stories of that time? I think I was very lucky in the first step that I took into kitchens. So I was tossing up whether doing an apprenticeship in Sydney um, in some connections that Kim had had um, or coming back to Tasmania. And I got an offer to come back and do my apprenticeship at Peppermint Bay, which at the time had just been taken over by David Moyle. Um, so Ben Lindell was managing it and I'd worked for him sort of on and off in the kitchen as a kitchen hand and on the floor. 
Um, and it kind of was in that period of changing where he was bringing down Dave and he was trying to create, I guess, a new environment down there. Um, so I decided to take a job there and it was, you know, I was blown away at the start. Like I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, Penman Bay was quite a busy restaurant. So what Dave was cooking at the back was the stackings, which was a very small, very intricate, delicious local produce menu. And the front was more of a bar and restaurant that serviced locals and it was pumping. It was so many like fish and chips and pizzas. And But I guess you had to be methodical in the way that you worked because you do 140 for lunch some days. Um, so I guess I learnt very fast how, how to prep a lot. <laughs> um, but I guess it wasn't really the type of food that I wanted to do. I guess I was working on one side of the kitchen and I was always poking my head over and sort of seeing what Dave was doing over the other side because it was more the style of food that I kind of knew straight away that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and Peppermint Bay closed every month for a year, uh, sorry, every year for a month for holidays because of where it was. It was just easier for everyone to have their holidays at the same time. And I'd only just started, I think I was four months into my apprenticeship. And I said to Dave, like, I don't really want to take a month off. Um, I was going over to Japan to visit my sister for two weeks, but I had this two weeks free and I guess I'd just started. So I had a lot of momentum and I wanted to keep it going. Um, so he's like, oh, I've got a friend, um, Ben Shuri, he's got a restaurant in Melbourne, um, just go to a stage there. So little me being in a kitchen for four months ended up staging at Attica and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Um, yeah, it completely changed the way I thought about food and yeah, I'm very grateful for that starting process. Take us into that kitchen um, at Attica. Do you have any stories of uh, working with Ben? I was only there for two weeks as a stage, so I didn't have a huge amount to do with Ben. But every time I did see him, he was always really lovely and really engaging. I think like being in that kitchen, you know, there was the jobs I was doing were they seemed so ridiculous at the time. I was peeling the outer layer of radishes, like the sort of the membrane between the skin and the radish. I was picking time with tweezers, was doing, you know, killing marin to order and poaching it. Like it was just this whole new world of things I'd never seen, but also the precision. I really enjoyed how precise and accurate everything, everything was weighed. Everything was to the gram. Like there was these little um, eggs I had to fill up with like a caramel and it had to be 50 to 52 grams. If it wasn't, they wouldn't serve it. So I, you know, I kind of really appreciated that. So I think, um, I guess to Dave's detriment, he did a really great thing by exposing that side of things to me. But when I went back to Peppermint Bay, <laughs> I didn't really want to be there. <laughs> um, so that was around the time that um, Garagis was in Hobart. And I had a friend um, who was working there on the floor. And she was like, oh, come in. And I went in for dinner and I was absolutely blown away. Um, so I kind of just asked, I was like, oh, can I just come in and hang out? So I went in on my days off at Peppermint Bay and I'd go in and do prep days up at Garages and 
I think I was doing that for about a month and then we, um, Luke and Will just said, do you want a job? Um, so I did and I think, yeah, it was, I think still to this day, the most engaging and best restaurant I've ever worked in. Wow, it, it made such an impact uh, on dining, not just in Tasmania, but it got the attention of the whole of Australia. Um, take us into that kitchen. What, do you have any stories of those connections that you fostered? I think it has definitely shaped so much of how I think about food today, but also the connections along the way. I've met up over the last 10 years with Luke and Will all around the world and done pop-ups and events with them. And I think I feel very fortunate to have had, well, Dave and then Luke and Will as mentors, I guess. But the kitchen itself in Garagist was, I don't really know how to describe. Will and Luke together were this incredible team. Um, so Luke, obviously, Luke Burgess was the owner and head chef um, and Will moved down from the UK and he had trained in very classic, strict UK kitchens. So the way that he prepped and organised was incredibly methodical. And I think from what I witnessed and my experience there, it was so great to see this perfect match between the two of them. So, you know, Luke was this incredibly creative mind. I think I still think of some of the dishes that he came up with and how did, how did you get there? Like, how did you think that those flavors would work? But they do and they're truly delicious. So he kind of would go and source ingredients and have all these ideas and bring them back. And Will would have, I guess, the incredible knowledge and technical ability to bring it together and like they'd work on the dishes together and I just remember watching that relationship between them and just thinking how incredible it was. Where did your experiences through Garages take you after that? Um, from Garages, so they decided to to sell the restaurant when I was um, still working there and they kind of said they got all the team together and they're like you know it could sell it could be three months or three years so <laughs> you know we're not really sure but we just want everyone to be in the loop they were they were incredible bosses like that um so i at that time with my connections on lord howe and doing my diving over there offered got offered a job to go and do the last bit of my apprenticeship over there and i thought oh like you know i guess i didn't want to turn down that opportunity and garages sell next month <laughs> so i decided to to take the job um and i left and it was a very it was bittersweet like i loved i loved it so much but i guess i wasn't sure how long it would be there for so i decided to take a step and to go do something different so i ended up on lord howe which it was an absolute world away <laughs> from garages the like luke going and picking up ingredients every day to having a boat that only came every two weeks it was um a definite culture shock for me um and i guess working with those two incredible chefs and the whole team there i think i really realized how good it was and how 
lucky I was to be there and Lord Howe was amazing for other reasons but I think I had to learn to let go that it wasn't going to be that type of kitchen for me and I don't think many kitchens were um so yeah I kind of made that move um to Lord Howe and then I don't know just over the years I've met up I ended up at Franklin for a while back working with Dave and over the last few years um I've run a pop-up called Isakai Temporary which I ran with Luke um and I moved over to London and helped Will open Peg which was his um second restaurant after Bright. So I guess over the, those connections for the start of my career have really infiltrated all the decisions I've made up until now, which is pretty lucky. How different were the uh, uh, kitchens and also the produce in the UK at PEG um, compared to what you were used to? I think um, produce was incredible. I do think it was mostly the meat that I found to be better over there um i think vegetables and stuff in tasmania i still haven't really seen better like there's something special about the produce that grows down here um but i do think that sometimes poultry is lacking so um when we were in peg we were doing a lot of yakitori so much we got so much chicken in it was all corn fed um delicious free-range chicken and it was incredible to cook with it it was something so different to what I'd experienced also guinea fowl um, really amazing pork so um, that was great and seafood there was it was very different to have fish like turbot something that we just don't get down here it's very very different Um, the kitchens itself again I think I was lucky um, the guys from the We Are Noble group, so Will, um, Phil and Liam were all great. And I think they really were trying to champion um, work-life balance and um, kind of change that kitchen culture. So I didn't see, I saw sides of the the London, um, I guess, environment that everyone talks about, Um, but I guess I didn't live through it and I'm very grateful for that. What brought you back to Australia? Um, COVID. Um, Yeah, so I was... I've been travelling a lot over the last seven, eight years. But I guess from where I was in London at that time, I was... um, I've been at PEG for a year and I was about to take over um, a residency at P. Franco, which was an incredible... um, career move and I was super excited to I guess step out onto my own I think it was very a very daunting idea to go from um being a sous chef at PEG and really loving what I was doing to being I guess in charge solely of what I was cooking but I was really excited by that idea um and then COVID hit so I was due to take over in April and I think yeah it was March um I was, yeah, I came home. So I was actually, I was in Belgium. I was at um, Chom Separé doing a stage. Um, I just had a couple of months before P. Franco was starting. So I wanted to get a bit more experience. So I was over in Belgium and they started closing everything. We got a, the restaurant got a call and was, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday night. And they were like, as of Friday at five, you can't serve. Um, 
everything's closing. So I got on, I just jumped on a night bus back to London, um, packed up my Airbnb and just got kind of back there as quick as I could. Um, and it was a bit of a, it was a very strange feeling. No one really knew what was going on. I was sort of in between a contract. So for me, I was like, well, if I stay and restaurants don't reopen, I'm going to be unemployed. Um, so I decided to come home for <laughs> three months and just waited for it to blow over. Um, how very wrong I was. Um, but, you know, I left with a goal of only being gone for a couple of months. I left most of my stuff over there. Um, and I very luckily got one of the last flights before it got really, really hard to come home. Um, so it brought me home and I think it's the stillest I've been um, in a very long time. What sort of impact did that have on you? You had the opportunity at P. Franco and it all sort of changed. How do you look back at that? I think at the time I was pretty broken about coming home. I didn't want to be home. I thought it was just so unfair. But, you know, looking at everything else that was going on in the world, I stepped back and I was like, it's actually, it doesn't really matter. It's just a job. It's just, it's just a thing. Um, and I felt very lucky to be back home in Tassie during all of the lockdowns. And um, look, we very fortunately compared to Sydney and Melbourne and many other parts of the world, um, didn't have it that bad down here. Um, and it still kind of was just a slightly different style of life. And I think, you know, it was a big shock coming home from London back to that. But I also really enjoyed it and it made me stop and think and be still. And I think, yeah, it was, it's the stillest I've been in a very long time. You mentioned the uh, pop-up izakaya that you did inspired by your time in Japan. And t take us over to Japan and through those experiences that you had. What, what was the real highlight that had an impact on you while you were in Japan? Well, Japan has always... So my, my sister um, lived over in Japan for six years. So she studied her master's in linguistics and moved over um, out, just out of uni. So I first went over to visit, I think I was 15. Um, I'd save up all my money and I'd go over for every holiday that I could. Um, and I loved it over there. I just, I think it was the food, it was the culture, it was the people, it was seeing my sister. Every time I went, we'd go to a different part of Japan. So like she was based in Nagoya in sort of central, pretty much smack bang in the middle of Osaka in Tokyo. Um, so I'd go there and visit and one one year we went to Tokyo the next year we went into um, the mountains and did skiing the next year we went down south to Kyoto and Osaka so every time I went and sort of immersed in a different part of Japan but I think what was always prominent was the food like I just I loved it so much I still I still do I think it's my favorite favorite food and um, I just remember everything being so truly delicious and you know everyone who was cooking it was so happy and they were so passionate about what they were doing and I guess like true true artisans in what they were doing so I was just mesmerized by it um but then I guess fast forwarding and going to work at garage there was a lot of the way that Luke cooked that had that influence of Japanese food 
um, and he's got only in Tokyo and he has that sort of background in Japan. So I guess that sort of slightly instilled it a bit more in me um, and with Will as well. And then when Will was like, I'm going to open Peg, it's Japanese inspired. I want you to come and be the sous chef. And, you know, I was like, I love that food. He's like, I think it suits you really well. So I jumped at the opportunity and I guess that really instilled the Japanese cooking in me because that was all we did at Peg. It was very, I know it's, got, it's gone through a few processes and changes since COVID, just ducking and adapting. But when I was there, it was just yakitori. We just had a grill. Um, the kitchen itself was like, you know, two inductions and about a metre, long metre and a half long um, charcoal grill. That was it. Um, so everything was cooked over charcoal. Um, I learnt so much about technique and, you know, the yakitori style of cooking there. It was a baptism of fire. <laughs> um, and then when I came home, I think Luke very in the, you know, very Luke way of being a very genuinely lovely person. I think he felt um, that I'd missed out on this opportunity at P. Franco, but he wanted me to have something that I could cook and sort of do myself. So he very much stepped back from the izakaya and just um, let me let me cook. Um, so I ran the kitchen and he ran the floor. Um, and it was this, it was a huge moment for, I guess for me in, I had gone from learning and being taught by Luke to telling him what to do or not what to do but just be like I'm gonna we're gonna cook this today and it was yeah I think I, I grew so much in that time um which I'm really really grateful for and I'm really grateful for Luke for kind of giving me the opportunity to do Izakaya um yeah is there any dish or produce um from that time with Izakaya that really stands out that you can tell us about well I think one thing that um, we always did at Peg was this, we made our own tofu out of um, soy milk and chickpea flour. So it was a really delicious, um, it was a riff on like a panisse, um, but we did it using soy milk um, and it was a great tofu for agadashi style tofus. It wasn't like you couldn't serve it as a, a silken tofu, but as a fried, it was this incredible like custardy tofu texture. Um, so we took that idea and we made a broad bean milk tofu um, and served it agadashi style just with all of the spring veg around and that sort of a version of that dish has been on every single izakaya that we've done so it was originally supposed to be a three-week pop-up um, and it became so popular we just kept extending um hence the name izakaya temporary we've kind of coined it izakaya not so temporary um and it went for about six months um and i'm actually just about to relaunch it this january which is exciting um so luke is over in japan so um unfortunately he won't be able to be part of it with me but i'm going to relaunch it with my partner who also work, who works on the floor um, and we're going to run it in a little space we've got for three weeks over January, which is super exciting. Um, feels funny to be doing it without Luke, but I'm excited to be doing it again and cooking that sort of food again. It really 
does feel like my favorite type of cooking. When was the seed planted to create your own events company and, and what's it been like building it? Um, the seed was kind of planted, I guess. Um, I was working at Diamaker um, and I got offered a role with Dave, actually. He asked me to go up to Harvest in Nuribar. Um, they needed a head chef. And I wasn't really sure if I wanted to live in Byron, um, but I decided to take the risk um, and say yes to the opportunity in classic nature. Um, and I ended up that way, but to be honest, it just wasn't the right role for me. And I wasn't, um, I guess I'd gone up with the notion that it might not be, but I guess working in, in it, it was, you know, it's an incredible incredible restaurant and I think the changes that Dave's made over there in the last couple of years are great but for me personally it wasn't what I wanted it was that sort of fast-paced I guess you're pumping out food which is great but I guess it was kind of almost felt like being back as an apprentice in the sort of looking at all the food I wanted to be cooking but I couldn't get there because we were so busy so um, I decided that I didn't want to do that role, but moving back to Tassie, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to work. So I thought, why why not just start my own thing? Um, and I guess I didn't want to be locked in to a restaurant or a, a site and kind of have that um, commitment of being here, solely here. So I thought of the idea of just doing um, events and doing pop-ups and just sort of being, I guess, a chef for hire. Um, and since I've made that decision, it's actually been great. I've op opened up to so many jobs um, and pop-ups and yeah, it's been, it's been really great so far. Well, take us into the world of uh, this events company that you have, uh, a little bit about the food and the sort of events that you're pulling together. Uh, well, the food, I guess I've gone along but what I'm trying to promote is that the food is based purely on seasons and purely on the produce that is around. But I guess I'm trying not to lock it too much into a cuisine and I'm trying not to just focus on cooking Japanese because it's what I always fall back to. Um, so I guess I'm trying to, with all of the different experience in the different restaurants that I've worked in, allow the guests to choose what they'd like rather than me just being having a set menu of being like these are the four canapes I offer and the three mains and you've got to pick one or two I guess I'm trying to I want to create an event space that's more fluid and more based around the seasons and based around like hey like this is what's available today and I guess it's a bit of a hard sell because sometimes people want very specific they want menus printed weeks in advance and all those sort of things um but yeah, so far so good. Um, I did some events recently up in um, Noosa with, uh, we actually with David Moyle, we were doing um, Verve Clicquot. So they hired us to do a dinner each. Um, I'd do one night, Dave would do the second and we'd rotate over um, five groups of people. Um, so we're up there for 10 nights cooking and my menu was entirely seafood based and Dave's was around the garden, which was really fun. Um, was recently over at um, Summertown Aristologist doing a little Isakai temporary pop-up over there. Um, 
I spent some time in Anti in Sydney, which was incredible. I guess just being open to just sort of whatever anyone is needing. And I think it's a very good time at the moment. There's so, there's a, definitely a shortage um, for hospitality staff and particularly chefs. So I guess for me just to be free and open to go anywhere, it's kind of working out well for me. Like I am able to go to Auntie for five weeks and help out because I don't have a job. I'm not tied to a restaurant or I'm able to go up to Verve and cook for 12 days because I'm not tied down. Um, so it's been really enjoyable just having that flexibility. Tasmania has incredible produce. It's also known for um, producing incredible wasabi as well. With your Japanese um, direction with your food, um, have you had connections with wasabi farmers there? Yeah, I have. There's um, a really great um, farm down here called Shima Wasabi. Um, so they're based up in the north of the state um, and they're an incredible, incredible product. So not only, I think a lot of people think of wasabi and you just think of the root, um, which is delicious and it's great, but they also sell the stem and the leaf, which is two really amazing products to use. Um, the leaf has that sort of peppery nature that you'd find in the wasabi stem, but it's this beautiful vessel to hold wrapped up seafood or I used it recently at the Verve event actually I took up a heap of wasabi leaves and did it with grilled prawns smoked creme fraiche and Maya lemon kosho as just like a little sort of wrap wrap the leaf around it's great it's such an amazing product um, and I think the climate down here is is really good for it to grow this uh, time that you found in the new role and um being still more, has, has it allowed you to approach your craft differently? And are you, are you cooking differently as a result of it? I think so in that I have more time to think about the way things cook or like um, just a trying new methods. And like, I'm not rushing to get stuff done all the time. So I'm able to step back a little bit and create and to try new techniques and to read more so like I've been changing a lot and I think I've been really excited by doing this new um izakaya pop-up because part of me wants to keep it similar-ish so because it's what people know but the other part of me has been reading so much um new books and new techniques about fermenting and I'm like oh I could try this we can do this and I have all this time I've got two months now where I can play and I can create some new new products for that pop-up. So I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited by having that freedom. And I think not working in restaurants, I do think I have a lot more time for thinking about adapting and changing methods and recipes and creating new stuff, which is really exciting. Well, um, you've created this uh, amazing new events company and changed the way um, you you find work-life balance. What, what do you love about what you do? I think it's the freedom and the creativity that I love the most. I think um, cooking is so much... There's so many different possibilities. I don't think you can ever really say you've mastered it because there's so many techniques, so many cuisines, so many different things. I think... What I find the most exciting about it is there's always something to learn. So I guess I'd never get bored in cooking because I'm always 
you're, there's always something to read or a new technique or a new type of source to do or you know there's, there's so much opportunity so I, I love that part of it I also love the part of giving back to people or to see people's reaction when you cook for them when you host them um, I think that's one really nice thing about doing of these events and doing smaller events is the connection with people you kind of I think sometimes in the kitchen you you miss the connection or you miss the reaction that people have eating food and being hosted and have that like hospitality environment around them um quite often you know as a chef you're in the back or you know you're in a whole different section you don't get to see that whereas the spaces I've been working in recently have been really open and you know you're talking through dishes with guests and explaining you know how stuff's made where stuff's grown the person who grew the vegetable that they're eating and it's really nice to be able to convey that story um because a lot of it gets lost and yeah i think that part of it i really love as well well lily good luck with lt events and everything that you've got on the calendar in the next year or so um please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon thank you so much thanks for having me huck this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.